All right, Shabbosai, good morning. Let us begin. So I want to begin by, by first by thanking our sponsors for this morning. Sure, to thank our Tamatora sponsors for the month of Elo, Averman, Shane, Dikelman, for dedicating all the Shurim and Drashos this month in memory of their parents. To thank our Week of Learning sponsors, Adam and Leslie Rosen, as a for Shalema, for Chaim Yosef Ben Batya. We thank Hillary Jacobson Kent and Yisrael Daniel Jacobson for dedicating the week of learning commemoration of the art site of Milton Jacobson, Mordechai Menasha Ben Shmar Yahu. And we thank Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating the Shurim this week as a Schusser for Shalema for Alter Ben Golda Etcha. We also thank our Dafyomi sponsors, Yitz and Shira Oppenheim, in commemoration of the yard site of Moshe Adler, Moshe Ben Aaron. We hope that in the merit of our Tamatora, all of the Neshamas will have an Aliyah and the families a Nechama. But with that, let us begin. I also want to thank, thank you to Jeremy and to Menachem just for, uh, <laughs> you know, everything in the shul, Baruch Hashem in this building, is on the verge of breaking. Either, either, either it's already broken or it's about to break. So any, any time, this is not a pitch for the building fund, but this, but this is just like any time we have to move something or pull something, it, it's, it's about to come down in some way. So thank you very much, Rosa, for taking care of that. It's incredibly, incredibly appreciated. Rosa, with that, let us begin. So today's daf is daf vov. We are picking up Emirat Hashem on the bottom of Hema Beis. Rosa, let me just clarify one point before we begin. Because yesterday what we did is we spoke about the concept of Yoma Arichta versus Sveka de Yoma. Now, some of you may be thinking, it seems to be pretty academic because at the end of the day, the result is the same thing, which is what? Two days. Keep two days. So let me, so that's a failure in my Koacha Hezber, if, that, if that's what you're thinking. So let me, let me, let me take a moment to explain this. It, the fundamental difference is as follows. Sveka de Yoma, when you observe two days of Yamtiv, while you're observing that Yamtiv, you actually don't know which is the correct day of Yamtiv. We're talking about in the original formulation of, of Yamtiv Shein, of, 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 of Yamtiv Shein. Not talking about now when the calendar is fixed and established. But in the original observance of Yamtiv Shein, you were living in a diaspora community. You did not know. You did not know. Is today Sukkis, first day of Sukkis? Is tomorrow the first day of Sukkis? And at no point in time during the observance of those two days were you 100% clear as to which day was the correct day. So you observed both of them out of Suffolk. Yoma Arichta is, I'm observing two days, but I have absolute clarity about what? About what? About which day is Yom Tiv. Now again, at the beginning, remember as Rashi pointed out yesterday, Oh, Rashi pointed about a thousand years ago, but we learned it yesterday, right? That, that, that when, you, when you, you would begin the night of the 30th, the night of the 30th, observing Yom Tiv, and not sure exactly if it was going to be Yom Tiv, but within a couple of hours, you knew. So that by the end, over the course of those two days of Rosh Hashanah, you had absolute clarity as to which was the first of Tishrei and which was the second of Tishrei, or which one was the last day of Elul and the first day of Tishrei. So that, therein lies the difference. Sveka di Yoma, there is calendrical ambiguity throughout the observance of the two days, but I have to keep both of them because I'm not sure which is the right day. Yoma Arichta, I know which one is the right day, but because, again, of a, of a, of a technical issue with the Eidos, I have to keep both days. So the result is I'm keeping two days, but the reason, or I should say my mindset or my clarity, my calendrical clarity on Yoma Arichta, I know which is the right day, I know which is the add-on day. Sveka di Yoma, I never really know which is the correct day, and therefore I'm keeping both days out of doubt. So I hope that clarifies it, that clarifies it a bit more. And also with that, let's go on. Now the good news is we're not out of that sugya yet. Samir Hashem, there is still more, there is still more, we're still going to delve into that more. So we have incredible sugya out of us today. So let's begin. Says the Gemara, we are up to, we are up to Amarava. Uh, last two lines, Hamid Bey's 5b. Says the Gemara, so Rav says, Rav, in these three cases, now which three cases are we making a reference to? Shabbos says, remember again, this goes back, this goes back a little bit. We had Rav quoted a number of times on Daf Dalid Amud Aleph. So remember again, the first time we had Rav was when you have Shabbos and Yom Tev together. Rav says, Nolda Bazu Asura Bazu. 
right? So if, it's, right, if the chicken lays an egg on Shabbos, not only is it mukta on Shabbos, but it's also going to be Asr on Yom Tiv. That was the first Rav. Second Rav we saw was Shnei Yomim Tovim Shal Galios, right? Regular two-day Yom Tiv in Chutz La'aretz. Rav says, Nol Tabazah, Muteres Bazah. That if the chicken lays the egg on day one, you can't use it on day one, but Allah Chalamaisa, it's mutter on day two. That was the second statement of Rav. And the third statement of Rav was, Shnei Yaman Tovim Shal Rosh Hashanah, Nolda Bazu, Asura Bazu. Right? So Allah number one, when you have Shabbos and Yom Tiv together, if the chicken lays the egg on Shabbos, it's going to be Asura on Shabbos and on Yom Tiv. number two, Tu Yaman Tovim Yom Tov Shini Shal Golios. When the chicken lays the egg on day one, it's mutter on day two. And halacha number three, when it comes to the two days of Rosh Hashanah, nolda bazu, asura bazu. Those, so Rava says, the halacha follows Rav in these three cases. Amar Rava, Bosetap of Vav. It's an incredible sugya. What happens if, if, if a Jew passes away on the first day of Yom Tiv? So Rav say, what are you allowed to do in terms of burying the mace on Yom Tiv? So Rav says, if a Jew dies on Yom Tiv, you could have non-Jews bury the individual. You don't have to wait till after Yom Tiv, you can have non-Jews bury the individual. Mace be Yom Tiv Sheni. What happens if a person passes away on Yom Tiv Sheni? Right? Second day Yom Tiv. Remember, diaspora, second day Yom Tiv. Listen to this. Even Jews are allowed to bury someone on the second day Yom Tiv. Vafilu bishnei yamim tovim shal Rosh Hashanah. And this is true when it comes to a mace, even on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, masha'in kei Interestingly enough, so remember, Chazal were not mekel, we just saw, Rava was not mekel, or, or Rava, I should say, was not mekel on a beitzah second day Yom Tiv. Yet halacha lamaisi, you're allowed to go ahead and bury a mace on the second day Yom Tiv. And I will say, this halacha is in fact codified in Shulchan Aruch, that if a person passes away on the first day Yom Tiv, you're allowed to instruct Goyim to go ahead and bury the mace. Person passes away on the second day Yom Tiv, Jews themselves are permitted to bury the mace. Now Rav Moshe, Zechot Livracha, has a chilva about this, and he explains, you don't really see this today. The truth is, you do see this in two communities. You find it in some of the Yekesha communities, in some of the German communities, and in, in, in some of the Hasidic communities. A number of years ago, the Satmar Rebbe, Zechazat of Kaddish Levracha, there was a terrible tragedy in his family. I think it was his daughter and his granddaughter who perished in a fire on Yom Tiv, and they conducted the Levaya on Second Day Yom Tiv. On Second Day Yom Tiv. So in some of the Hasidic communities, some of the Yakush communities, they do this. Ramosha says the reason we don't do this today is one simple reason, which is refrigeration. So Ramosh says again, the whole hunter to go ahead and bury on Yom Tev Rishon, on Yom Tev Sheni, is an issue of Nivel Hames, right? Decomposition of the body. But because we have refrigeration and can wait till after Yom Tev, the general Minag is we wait till after Yom Tev. Good. Now, I die on Riaf, but. I'm sorry? Second day Rosh Hashanah. No, no, so it's a lahalocha, lahalocha, we're machmir on the first day, Hashanah, only be second day. That's Hashanah Paskins. So Naradoi Amri, af So Naradoi said, right, in other words, the Gemara here reads, af bishnei yamim tovim shal Rosh Hashanah, which again makes it sound like even on both days of Rosh Hashanah, but the truth is the halacha is not actually like that. So Naradoi Amri, the Naradoi say, af bebeitzah. The Naradoi say the truth is, even by beitzah you can be megal. Rashi says, That ultimately, again, if the egg is born on one day, it's permitted on the second day. So here, the Nardoi want to say that even by Rosh Hashanah, even by Rosh Hashanah, remember again, we've already established what's the status of an egg on a regular two-day diaspora Yom Tiv? What's the status? Right? Born on the first day Yom Tiv, you can go ahead and utilize the egg on the second day of Yom Tiv. Now, Rav said, by the Shtei Yomim Tovim Shal Rosh Hashanah, because it's a Yoma Arichta, Nolda Bazu, or Bazah, Asura Bazah. The Nardam come along and they say, even by an egg, Afba Beitzah, Afba Beitzah by Rosh Hashanah, Nolda Bazah, Mutaras Bazah. Why? says, Demai what are you worried about? Maybe you're concerned that Elul is going to be an, uh, uh, an Ibr Chodesh, it's going to be a complete month. 
Lo matzinu elul mo'ober. That never happens. In the times of Ezra and on already, we have never seen a month of elul that has a full 30 days. Amr marzutra. Lo aman elad deishtoi. Avalo ishtoi mishahinon lei. Furthermore, I will say, jumping back to the maze for just a moment. When do we say, Lo Amen Rashi says, these askuba Yisrael. When do we say that halacha lamaisa on second day yamtiv, that you could have Jews bury a maze? That's only, that's only de ishtahi, Rashi says, ela de ishtahi, o misyare shalo yasriach. So that's actually very interesting. Ravashi says, when do we allow Jews to go ahead and bury a maze on yamtiv? That's when the person passed away before Yom Tiv, for whatever reason you didn't get the Levaya done. And the concern is that if you push it off anymore, it'll be an even greater lack of Kavad Ames. However, again, but if again, means that if the person didn't pass away before Yom Tiv, so the person passed away on Yom Tiv itself, in which case, again, we're not so concerned if you wait a day, if you wait a day, Nothing terrible is going to happen to the mace. Mishahin Ultimately, again, we wait. And I will say that is not the halacha as codified in Shulchan Aruch. The halacha as codified in Shulchan Aruch is what we said before. The halacha lamaisa, Yom Tev Rishon, Yom Tev Rishon. We have non-Jews bury, Yom Tev Sheni. We could even have Jews bury. Interestingly enough, I will say, you know, there are, you know, we, we don't recognize it today because of the many of the halachos concerning, or I should say, the metzias of refrigeration. But for example, you know, we should never know, but when a person passes away, there's a halacha that you're supposed to take the mace and put them on the earth, put them on the, put them on the floor. So, you know, for all of these minhagim, there are esoteric concepts, right? But there are also very practical utilitarian concepts. Why do you put a mace on the floor? Because to slow down decomposition, right? Because the floor is colder, you slow down, right? You bring down the temperature, slow down decomposition. So for example, there are many contemporary post game, let's say that one doesn't have to be makbit on that to put a mace on the floor, especially if a person passes away in a hospital where sometimes, again, these things aren't so poshet if it's a hospital that doesn't understand Jewish custom. Another interesting example, shmira, shmira. You know, there's a concept of being a shomer, right? Not leaving the body alone. So there's an esoteric idea that until kvura, the neshama hovers alone, hovers over the body, so we don't want to leave the neshama alone. On a very practical level, why did Chazal mandate shmira? Achbarim, mice. Mice, they didn't want rodents going ahead and, you know, coming along and, and taking away from the dignity of the body. So again, it's interesting to see how because of a difference in contemporary circumstances, many of these halachos and minhagim may be modified contemporarily. Okay, interesting idea. So we should, we should, we should be zochet to celebrate, we should be zochet to steep ourselves in halachos concerning simchas. Ravashi Amar, Afagav Nami Ravashi says, no, even if the person didn't pass away before Yom Tiv, and therefore the burial has been delayed, you could still go ahead and conduct yourself in accordance with the halachos as espoused above. Namely, Yom Tiv Rishon, you go ahead and you have non-Jews do it. Yom Tiv Sheni, even Jews could do it. My taima, listen to this. Yom Tov Sheni Lagabe Meis Kechol Shavye Rabbanon. They both say, this is a dramatic halacha. Because Ravashi comes along and essentially says that when it comes to Kavad Hames, Chazal made Yom Tevsheni, Chazal made Yom Tevsheni, essentially into a weekday. It's a weekday, right? So this is an incredibly important episode. Remember, Yom Tevsheni is a Dindir Avonam. So Chazal, we see this many times where Chazal suspended their legislation in the face of Kavad Abrios. Now, Kavad Abrios is the term that we use for Kavad ultimately, again, for the living, right? Kavad Ames is the term that we use for the Kavad, Kavad afforded to individuals ultimately, again, when they're dead. So therefore, Ravashi says that Halacha we treat Yom Tov Shini like a weekday when it comes to Kavad Ames. So the Gemara says, therefore, Afilu Lamegas Le Glima, Ulamegas Le Asa. But say, not only are you allowed to go ahead and what? Not only are you allowed to go ahead and bury the individual, but you're even allowed to what? Make tachrichim. You can make shrouds, right? Or lamegas le'asya, to cut down a myrtle branch. Now, interesting enough, why would they cut down myrtle branches? So Rashi says, hayu amitas meis They replace myrtle branches 
on the beer, right, on the, on the bed of the mace. There was another reason also they put myrtle branches was in case in the event that there was a smell, right, so the myrtle branches would go ahead and help to offset the smell. Okay. I say this is incredible. So Ravina said, this is fascinating. Ravina says, but today we have to deal with the chabarin. Now I'll say, who are the chabarin? Rashi says, Uma parsim. This was a very wicked group of people during the days of the Persian. And they would force the Jews to work. Now, so I said, listen to this. Isn't this fascinating? So comes along Ravina. Ravina says, you know, today we have to contend with the Chabarim. So the Chabarim were these people. They would force the Jews to work. The Jews got off work. It seems to me that Shabbos was easier to get off work. Yamtiv, you know, very often if you have to explain Yamtiv to an employer, right? So often the, often, and Baruch I don't have this problem. But, but, you know, but, 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 but interestingly enough, the one question, many other problems, but, 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 the, but the one question you often so many, so many holidays? So many holidays? So these Chabarin used to give the Jews a difficult time with getting off of Yamtiv. So Ravina says, if the Chabarin see us burying, their de- burying our dead, they're going to think that we're making up this whole thing about not being able to come to work on Yamtiv. So therefore, again, this is amazing. So Ravina says that today, when we have to contend with the Chabarin, we do not go ahead and bury on Yamtiv Sheni. We don't bury Yom Tevsheni because if we do that, we run the risk of losing out on the opportunity not to have to work on Yom Tev. Incredible, incredible. Ravina Havi Yosef Kamei Dravasi, Bishnei Yom Tov Shana. Ravina was sitting in front of Ravasi, or I think he changes it here, to Rav Ashi, sorry, to Rav Ashi, on the two days of Rosh Hashanah, Chazyei Dahava Atsiv. So he saw that he was sad. He saw that he was sad. So I will say, Amrlei, Amai Atsiv. He said to him, why are you sad? And I both said, I just want to tell you. It, look, I'm going to say, we're learning this Gemara of Rosh Hashanah. What do you see from this Gemara? What do you see from this Gemara? That you're not supposed to be sad on Rosh Hashanah. You see people, you see, isn't this incredible? Ravina sees Ravashi. You see a Jew who's tzabrachin. You see a Jew who's crying. You see a Jew who's down. And on, you see them Rosh Hashanah. And what, often, what do we think? What do we think? Ah, tzaddik. That's Adik, right? It's almost like sometimes in Yiddishkeit, the more miserable you look, the more pious you must be, right? A mamish, this guy's always upset. Sadik is sold Olam. So here, Ravina sees Ravashi on Rosh Hashanah, and he says, Why are you sad? So I will say, What do you see? On Rosh Hashanah, Rabbi Nachman's halacha still applies of mitzvah, gidola, lios, besimcha, tamid. Rosh Hashanah is a simcha day. Rosh Hashanah is an incredible day where ultimately we have the opportunity to be mam Kodesh Baruch Hu. We get the ability to coronate God. We have the opportunity to spend days with the Ribbon Shalom. We have the opportunity and the great zechus to do tshuva. Ein simcha gidola mizo. So Rav Ashi comes along and he sees, sorry, Ravina comes along and he sees, Rav Ashi sitting along and he sees his sad. What's wrong? How could a Jew be sad on Rosh Hashanah? There was, I just want to point out, doesn't mean you don't cry in Rosh Hashanah. So remember again, there are tears of joy. Just because a person cries doesn't mean that they're sad. Crying is often just a manifestation of a deep, a deep feeling of emotion. In fact, the Arizal says if you cry over Rosh Hashanah, when you cry on Rosh Hashanah, the Arizal says that's a simon that they're judging your neshama in based in Shalmala. If you feel moved to tears at any point in time, that means that that moment, that moment, you are being judged. So the tears are not a manifestation of sadness. The tears often are a manifestation of the overwhelming nature of the day. But even in the overwhelming nature, a person has to make sure to constantly be in a state of simcha. Amrlei, so Ravashi said, I'll tell you why I'm upset. To the Osivi Eruv Tavshilin. I forgot to make an Eruv Tavshilin. I forgot to make an Eruv Tavshilin. Now, I'll say, look at Rashi for just a moment, which also tells you something amazing. <laughs> you think to yourself, I forgot to make an Eruv Tavshilin. My gosh, it's Yantif. Right? It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the Yom Adin. And you're thinking about your Eruv Tavshil and Ravashi? And the answer is, yeah. yeah. You know why? Because you can't have Ruchnius without Gashmius. 
Because at the end of the day, if a person wants to be a spiritually healthy person, person wants to have a proper ruchnius, your gashmius has to be intact. We all know this. This, this is not, and it's not a pegam. We often think that sometimes, again, if I was really pious, all I would daven for is the ruchnius stuff and not worry about the gashmius. For 99.999% of people, I need my gashmius to be intact in order for my ruchnius to rise to the level it should be. And even a ravashi, he doesn't have an air of tafshilin, doesn't have an air of tafshilin, not going to have a nice suda. That's atzvus. That's atzvus. Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Obviously, so this obviously was talking about a situation where it was Yom Tov going to... Remember again, when do you make an Erev Tavshilin? When you have Yom Tov going into Shabbos. By the way, we're going to do the sugya of Erev Tavshilin in Be'ah. It's actually a fascinating sugya. So when you have Yom Tov going into Shabbos, remember, I was like, back to Rabbah. What did Rabbah teach us? Hachona de Rabbah. What did Rabbah teach us? Remember? What did Rabbah teach us? Good. Rabbah teaches us that ultimately, again, right? Chol mechin liyom tiv. Chol mechin l'shabbos. Ve'en shabbos mechin liyom tiv. Ve'en yom tiv mechin l'shabbos. You cannot prepare from yom tiv to shabbos. If you can't prepare for yom tiv to shabbos, then what do you do when yom tiv goes into shabbos? It's called you make an erev tafshilin. Very quickly, what does an erev tafshilin do? An erev tafshilin, you put aside your baked item, your cooked item before yom tiv. That's the beginning of your hachana. And therefore, again, any subsequent hachana that you do over the course of yom tiv is considered to be an extension of that hachana you started on erev yom tiv. Right? We'll say. It has nothing to do with the magical power of a piece of gefilte fish and matzah, right? It's not like somehow, like you some kind of incantation and everything is up. Well, again, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss, we'll discuss all the halachas in any event. Shravashi is upset because he didn't make an air of tafshilin. So says the Gimara, says the Gimara, Amrle, uh, I'm sorry, Velosiv Marha Idna. So, so Ravina says, Ravashi, what's the big deal? Just make an Erev Tafshilin right now. In other words, we'll say, go ahead. What Ravina was advising him to do was to make an Erev Tafshilin alt tnai. We're going to talk about this sugya, which is as follows. Essentially, what you should do is like this. Let's say, remember, it's Thursday, Friday, Shabbos, two days of Rosh Hashanah. So, what do you do on Thursday? You take your Erev Tafshilin and say, like this, if today, if today is Yamtiv, then the declaration and the selling aside of the food is meaningless. But if today is yamtiv, then that means that what? Tomorrow is what? Tomorrow is chol. Which means any preparation I do tomorrow is going to be permitted anyway. And if today is not yamtiv and tomorrow is yamtiv, let the Erev be chal today. Let me make the Erev tafshilin today. And any preparation I do tomorrow will ultimately be a continuation of this preparation. So it works. So Ravina says, Shavashi, just make your Erev tafshilin right now. Alts tonight. So the Gemara says, Rava said that a person could do this. We'll say, we'll discuss this. That a person, if they forgot to make an Erev Tavshilin, could literally make an Erev Tavshilin on the first day Yomtev with a Tnai. Again, if today's Yomtev, then X. If today's not Yomtev, then Y. We constantly come back to this. That ability to make a Tnai, right, on the two days of Yomtev only works when? When what? When what? One of those days is Kodesh and one of those days is Chol. But when it comes to the two days of Rosh Hashanah, where the days have a designation of a Yoma Arichta, one long day, then such a Tanai will not work. Therefore, Vashi says again, I know about the Tanai, but it doesn't work on the two days of Rosh Hashanah. But the Nardoim said that even the two days of Rosh Hashanah, which means that even the Nardoim would say that the two days of Rosh Hashanah are not really like a Yom Arichta, but more like a typical Yom Tev Sheni Shalgolio situation. To which the Gemara says, of Mordechai, mar de los We don't hold like the Nardoim. Okay, which I will say is not a surprise. Right? We, re- we kind of clearly rejected that position earlier on. We hold that the two days of Rosh Hashanah ultimately are Yom Arichta. So we'll say, so another interesting nafkamina, another interesting practical difference, that apparently on the two days of Diaspora Yom, by all the other Yom Tovim, it appears that if you forgot to make your Erev Tavshilin, you could potentially make it on the first day of Yom Tov with a Tanai. With the, again, we'll, we'll talk about this in the Sugib Erev Tavshilin, but that would not work ultimately again on the two days of Rosh Hashanah, which have the status of Yom Arichta. The Nardoim disagree. They say Rosh Hashanah is not a Yom Arichta, but we reject that view. We also see the Moser Haskil, Mitzvah Gidol Yos Besimcha, Afilu Berosh Hashanah. Itmar says the Gemara Efrach, Shanola Biyamtiv, but this is a great case. 
Now you have a chick that was born on Yom Tif. Right? So remember again, we're, we're transitioning now a little bit, right? Baruch Hashem, we went from the egg. Kanayinahar, they grow up so fast, right? We got, we got in from the egg, and now we're up to the chick, right? So now the chick hatched on Yom Tiv. So what do you do with the chick on Yom Tiv? Says the Gemara. Rav Amar Aser. So Rav said ultimately the chick is going to be Aser. Ushmuel v'itim Rabbi Yochanan Amar Mutter. Shmuel. We'll just go with Shmuel right now. Shmuel. Some say Rabbi Yochanan say that it's Mutter. So we'll say what's the what's the machlokes? Rav Amar Aser Muktu. Rav says ultimately again it's going to be Aser. Why? Because it's Mukta. Right? It's Mukta again. It was just born. It was it wasn't in existence at the onset of Yom Tiv, and therefore Halacha Lamaisa it is going to be Mukta. So we'll say this is very interesting. And it becomes its motor. Why? Because it literally it becomes permitted through shrita. Now, what does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. Remember again, once that chick is born, you could eat it. How can you eat it? How can you eat it? Through shrita. So there's a mechanism, there's a halachic mechanism that renders it fit for consumption. See, no, it was just born on Yom Tiv. Shmuel wants to suggest the shrita permits it. Finish that Rashi. He says, So we'll say the same way that shrita ultimately again could go ahead and make it mutter. Mutter. Out consumption, so so to its leda, its birth ultimately has the ability to remove its mukta status. So they asked Rav the following question. So, so Rav says that when the chick hatches on yamtiv, it's mukta, it's mukta. So they asked Rav, why is this any different than a calf that's born on yamtiv? As we will say, now we're presupposing that Allah Chalamai is a calf that's born on Yamtiv, you're permitted to shecht it, you're permitted to eat it. Look at Rashi. Lego Shalab Yamtiv, the Sanya Lakaman, Shemutter Bobayom, Divriakal. We will see later on that Allah Chalamai you're permitted to go ahead and eat and shecht the calf that's born on Yamtiv. So if you're allowed to shecht the calf that's born on Yamtiv, why would you not be permitted to go ahead and eat the chick that hatches on Yamtiv? Amrulus Rav will say, "Hoil umuchan agav imo b'shchita," because remember the calf is different. Because technically speaking, the calf was mutter already at the onset of yamtiv. How so? How so? If you were to shech the mother, right? The boss says, "Interesting Allah, We saw us in Chulin. If you were to shech the mother and you open up the mother and you find the calf in there, what's the status of the calf? Right? It's kasher. By the way, not only is it kasher, but it's kasher without what? Shechita. Which is, again, this is called an halacha the ben pakua, which is really just a fascinating halacha, right? That you could have a living animal that does not require shechita, because it's not considered to be halachically alive. In any event, so the Gemara says over here something fascinating. The Gemara says, by the way, we'll say, the, I think that there's a lot of money to be made in the ben pakua industry, right? I, I t- now, I'll tell you why. Because lemaisa, many of the halachos concerning trefas, do not apply to a ben pakua. So it doesn't require ritual slaughter. And again, many of the other disqualifying factors don't also don't, eh, okay, different, different share. Anyway, so the Gemara says as follows, but I want royalties. If anyone does this, if anyone does this. So the Gemara says as follows. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, no, it's not comparable because lemaisa, lemaisa, the calf is mutter already from the shechita of its mother. In other words, the calf is already permitted from the beginning. Again, it was never really set aside for non-use. The chick, the chick wasn't permitted. The issue with the chick, what's the issue with the chick? Is that it's in the egg. It's in the egg, so it's totally unusable. Meaning what the Gemara, what Rav is positing is the calf is technically usable at the onset of Yom Tiv. Now, not as a born calf, Rashi points out, Uber Yerach Imo, right? The fetus is considered to be an extension of its mother. And therefore, when you shech the mother, the fetus becomes permitted as well. The calf becomes permitted. So the calf was really permitted from the onset of Yamtiv. Now they said to Rav, well, why should this be any different than a calf that was born to a trefa? Then Rav said, this is an interesting case, right? Now, remember again, let, so watch this. If you have an animal that's a trefa, right? A mother, a mother that's a trefa. You shech the mother, you open it up, and the calf is there. What's the status of the calf? Trefa. 
right? Because remember, again, we operate with the principle of ubar yerech imo, right? That the, the, the fetus, right? The, the, or I should say the, the, the animal in utero is an extension of its mother. If the mother is, if the mother is a trefa, so ultimately, again, the calf in utero is a trefa. Now, what happens if the mother births a totally healthy calf? What's the status of the calf? What's the status? Mutter. Kosher. Kosher. So they sit around like this. So I'll say, so what about the following case? What about a trefa mother who births a totally healthy calf on Yom Tif? Now, the Pashtos Talocha is that the calf is Mutra Yom Tif. But using your logic, Rav, it shouldn't be Mutra Yom Tif. Why? Because the reason you said that a calf before was Mutra when it's born on Yom Tif is because it was really already Mutra from the beginning of Yom Tif. It was Mutra al its mother. But if the calf was born to a trefa, then it wasn't mutter to its right through its mother. It's only mutter through its own birth. If that's the case, then it should be usher because it should more resemble like the case of the chick and the egg. But yet, Rav apparently doesn't make that distinction. I would say that even right the, the Gemara makes no such distinction. The Gemara doesn't talk about a calf that's born to a healthy mother versus a calf that's born to a trefa mother. The Gemara just says if a calf is born on yamtiv, it's mutter shasik. Shosik Rav. So Rav was silent. He did not know how to answer this particular question. Amr Rabbi Tamar Rav Yosef. My time with Shosik Rav, I don't understand why Rav was quiet because there's an answer to this. Let Rav say to them, It's true that the mother Trefa cow was not fit for human consumption, but it was fit for what? To feed to animals. In other words, the mother was fit for use. Granted, again, not human consumption, but it was fit for use to feed for one's dog. Since it was fit for use, therefore, again, the calf in utero is considered to be prepared for use as well already prior to Yom Tiv. Amr Abaye, Abaye says like this, Amr Beis, Amr Abaye, Hashta, Muchan Adam Lohavi Muchan Leklavin. Now let's analyze this. In general, we say that if something is prepared for use by people, that doesn't automatically make it prepared for use for a club and for dogs. Now, I both say, this gets into the topic of muktza, right? And this gets into, every, you know, all roads lead back to Rabbi Huda and to Rabbi Shimon when it comes to muktza. And Rabbi Huda, with his more, with his more narrow view or more stricter view of muktza, would really require for things to be actively prepared for use. So for example, in that view of muktza, if something is prepared for use, for human use, that doesn't automatically make it prepared for use for dogs. After all, this now, here we go. You're allowed to cut up gourds for an animal on, on, on Shabbos Yom Tov. And I both say, now, this is not a muktza issue. This is a tircha issue, right? Remember, again, the animal could technically eat the gourds even if they're not cut up. But Allah, you're allowed to cut it up on Yom Tov or on Shabbos. Similarly, you could cut up an animal carcass to feed to your dogs. Also on Shabbos, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, it depends. If the animal was alive and not an Avela on Erev Shabbos, you cannot cut it up for your dogs on Shabbos. Why, Rabbi Huda? Because Rabbi Huda holds of a stricter view of Mokta. And according to Rabbi Huda, if you're going to go ahead and cut it up for your dogs, it has to have been what? Prepared for animal use before Shabbos. How is it prepared for animal use? If it died, if it died, but if it didn't die before Shabbos, died on Shabbos, halacha lamais again, you could not cut it up. Because it's not prepared. To which the Gemara says, So he goes ahead and he says, so he explains that at the end of the day, anything that is muchan for dogs is it considered to be muchan for people. So the Gemara says, listen to this. So the Gemara says something very interesting. That which is prepared for dogs is prepared for use, for, for, for individual use. In other words, that as long as something is actively usable for dogs, we consider that to be actively usable for human purposes as well. But the converse is not true, which is, But that which is prepared for use by people is not prepared for use by dogs. Why? Because also the general klal is, if something is usable by me, I'm not going to use it for my dog. See, interestingly enough, whatever is muchan leklavim is muchan adam. Therefore, again, kind of going back, that's why, that's why when the, when the trefa animal gives birth to a calf on yamtiv, right, on yamtiv, 
the calf is going to be mutter because still the calf was considered to be prepared before Yom Tiv Agav Ima because of its mother. I, the mother, wasn't fit for human consumption. That's okay. It was fit to feed to my animals as a trefa, right? As a trefa. And once it's fit for animal use, it's quote unquote fit for human use as well. But the converse is not true. Something which is actively fit for human use by definition is not fit for animal use. Why? Because the mice, at the end of the day, whatever is usable for me, I'm not going to give up the use for me and allow my animals to use it. Incredible. So once you have Bryce that supports both Rav and Shmos. Remember again, we're focusing on a very specific case over here, which is the chick is born on Yom Tiv. The chick hatches on Yom Tiv. Rav says Aser, Shmuel says Mutter. We're trying to figure out at the end of the day why that is. So, so far what we have is Rav holds that it's Mukta. Rav says that it's Mukta. And Shmuel essentially says, since, essentially, Shechita permits the use of the chick. Right? Shechita permits the use of the chick. And since Shechita is able to take away, quote unquote, the status of a living animal and render it fit for consumption, so to the Shechita is able to take away the Moksa status as well. We have a bright that supports both. Here we go. We have a bright that supports Rav. If you have a calf that's born on Yamtiv, the calf is Mutter. Yet, Efroach Shanova Biyamtiv Aser. But a chick that hatches on Yamtiv is going to be Aser. What's the difference between this one and that one? Right? What's the difference between the calf and the chick? So the Gemara says, We'll say, so a very explicit price. So what's the distinction between a calf and the chick? It's very simple. The calf was considered to be prepared for use already before Yom Tiv. How so? How so? Because it was consumable through the shechita of its mother. The chick, the chick was, the chick was not usable by me before Yom Tiv itself and therefore remains mukta. Incredible. Tanya Kavase de Shmuel. We have a bride that supports Shmuel. Vitim Rabbi Yochanan. If you have a calf that's born on Yom Tov, it's mutter. We'll say everybody agrees with that concept. That a calf that's born on Yom Tov is mutter. And I will say, look at this bride. So this bride says that if the chick hatches on Yom Tov, it's going to be mutter as well. My taima. What's the reason why they're mutter? My taima. So the Gemara says, Ze muchan agav imo ze matir atzmo bishchita. Because at the end of the day, again, the calf will become mutter. Because halacha lamaisa, it's right, becomes mutter through the shechita of its mother. And ultimately, again, the, the, the chick becomes mutter through shechita. So we'll say, so this is, remember, this is the sheet. So remember, Rav holds, Rav holds that there's a distinction between, there's a distinction between the chick and the distinction between the calf. Right? The calf is ultimately mutter, going to be mutter when it's born on Yom Tov. Why? Because technically it was mutter before Yom Tov. How was it born before Yom Tov if it was never born? How was it mutter before Yom Tov? Through the shechit of the mother. Right? So, but Rav will say again, but the chick, which was unhatched before Yom Tov, ultimately remains in its state of Isser. Shmuel, or Rabbi Yochanan, hold that the same way that the calf is mutter before Yom Tov, alts the shechita of its mother. So, so to Allah Lama so ultimately the chick becomes mutter through the, the chick becomes mutter through its shrita as well. Good. If you have a chick that was born on Yamtiv, Aser. Ultimately, again, the chick will remain Aser. Rabbi Eli Ezra ben Yaakov Omer, Af Bechol Aser. Oh, so now we just made a huge jump over here. So remember, we just went from a Machlokes Rabin Shmuel, Machlokes Rabin Shmuel, about what happens when a chick hatches on Yom Tiv, right? So Rav says, Aser, Shmuel says, Mutter. And we now totally transition to a different discussion. Again, we're not finished with that discussion, but watch what just happened over here. The Gemara says, Rabbi Elez ben Yaakov says, when the chick hatches, Af Bechol Aser. The chick is going to be Aser, by the way, even when, even during the week. And why is the chick Aser even during the week? Watch this, Lafi, Shalom Niftichu Einov. Ooh. Because a chick is aser until it opens its eyes. Now, now, to be clear, remember again, a chick can only be consumed if you do what? Shechita. What the Gemara now is introduced will say something fascinatingly amazing. That even with shechita, the chick is only ra'ui for shechita, is only fit for shechita after it opens its eyes. But before it opens its eyes, it is totally aser for achila. 
Where do we get that from? Watch. This is incredible. Keman Ozlaha Disanya. Whose opinion is reflected in the following Braisa? Lechola Sheretz Hashoretz Al Haaretz. Because the Pasuklis are both say that there is a prohibition to eat Shratzim, to eat creepy, crawly things. What does that come to include? Lerabos Efrochim Shelo Niftechu Einehem. Wow. We'll say a chick, when it first emerges from the egg, before it opens its eyes, has the status of a sharetz, has the status of a creepy, crawly thing. I will say, what happens if you do shchit on shratzim? Right, it's meaningless. Right, a sharetz is a sharetz is a sharetz. Whether you shacht it or not, it's still going to be problematic. So I will say, isn't this absolutely incredible? That Allah Maisa, a chick before it opens its eyes, has the status of a sharetz. And therefore, ultimately, again, will be Asr, even with Shita. Kiman, Kabbalah Yaakov. Ultimately, again, whose opinion does this reflect? It reflects Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov. Amr Afuna, Amr Av. Rafuna says the name of Rav. Beitza in Yitzi Asr Nigmara. So we'll say now another statement. And I will say, that, 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 again, we're going we're gonna to get to the Allah Kalamais and all of these things in Mir Tashim in tomorrow's daf. But again, this is pretty riveting. You know, I'm seeing like, like that a Beitza, first of all, we'll say, I don't know that there's something else in halacha that exists like this. Maybe there is, but I, I was thinking about this, of something that transitions from sheretz to behema or to of tahora, right? From behema to of tahora. So here you have the chick, before it opens its eyes, it's a sheretz. After it opens its eyes, it's an of tar, right? It's a kosher bird. So pretty incredible. So Rav Huna, Rav Rav, Beitzah, Mitzias, Rav Huna said name of Rav, an egg is considered to be complete when it emerges from its mother. So what's the pshat? My mitzvah and nigmara. What exactly does that mean? What does that mean? So maybe you'll say that Allah means as follows. That as soon as the egg comes out into the world, you're permitted to eat it with milk. But say this is a chulin discussion in general about halacha the ability to eat eggs with milk, right? The status of an egg. An egg is something that separates from an animal, yet it does not have a fleshig designation, right? Which is interesting. See, if you mean what it means to say is that halacha when the chicken lays the egg, the egg is no longer fleshigs, right? And therefore you can eat it with milk. So is that inferring that if you shech the chicken and you find eggs inside of the chicken and you take the eggs out, that that egg is bisari, right? That that egg is considered to be fleshings. Is that true? Vatani, we learned, this is fascinating. If you shech the chicken, you open up, you find fully formed eggs. Mutaros la'achlan b'chalav. You are allowed to eat those eggs with milk. Now, both say, now I have to be very careful over here. What's the case? What's the status? Why? What's, what's the nature of the eggs you're finding over here? Fully formed eggs. So the reason for that is in halacha, fully formed eggs are considered to be separate from the mother, even if they're still housed inside of the mother. In other words, if you were to shech the chicken, open it up, and to find not fully formed eggs, those eggs are flesh eggs, right? Those eggs are chicken. That's, that's chicken, right? That, that's no different than any other part of the chicken. But Allah if you find fully formed eggs inside of the mother, mutter is permitted to eat it with chalav. So therefore, again, I will say, I don't need Rav wanted to say, with, to say in the name of Rav that when a chicken comes out of the mother, it's ultimately, again, it's nigmara, right? It's gemura. So it can't mean that I can eat it with milk because Allah say, if I shack the chicken and find fully formed eggs in the mother, I can also eat it with milk. Allah im yitzi asa nigmara. Rather, what it must mean is that as soon as the fully formed egg comes out of the chicken, ultimately, again, you're permitted to eat it even on yamtiv. Even if the chicken lays the egg on yamtiv, it's going to be permitted. It's going to be permitted. Then, now, that's in accordance with the position of Beishamai. Now, you can infer from that that if you were to shech the chicken and find the egg inside of the chicken, it would be asher to eat it on yamtiv. Is that true? But, Tanya, we learned... If you shech the chicken and you find fully formed eggs inside of it, mutaros la'achlan biyamtiv. Both say that's an easy case, right? Because remember again, in this case, when you shech the chicken, you find eggs inside of it, leaving aside the milchik fleshik designation, a part of fleshik designation. Those eggs are what? Part of the mother. So the same way you're allowed to shech the chicken and eat the egg and, and eat the chicken on yamtiv. You can eat the eggs inside of it. 
Maybe he'll tell us, well, the Bryce is coming to teach us something that we did not see before in the Mishnah. The truth is, we learned this, we'll say this is the opening Mishnah of Meseches Be'ah. What's the opening Mishnah? That when you have an egg, then ultimately, again, the chicken laid on Yamtiv. Beishamai Ormrim Tochal. Beishamai says you could eat it. Ubeisila Ormrim Lo Tochal. And Beisila says you can't eat it. So we already have Beishamai on record saying that when the chicken lays a fully formed egg on Yamtiv, you're allowed to eat it. Vaad Kano Pligi Beishamai Beisila El Benolda. Benolda. And even the Machlokas Beishamai Beisila is only one water. But say when the chicken lays the egg. Aval Bemoi Iman Divrei Hakol Sharyon. Everyone agrees that if you shech the chicken and you find an egg inside of that chicken, both say, what's the status of the egg? What's the status of the egg? Mutter. Right? Even Basilo agrees. Right? Basilo's only problem is when the chicken lays an egg about being an issue, potential issue of muktza, or again, we had four different opinions as to what Basilo's problem is. But Lamai said, the problem is when the chicken lays the egg, but if they shech the chicken and the egg is inside of the chicken, it's absolutely mutter. Even Basilo would agree. Maybe you'll say that Basilo holds that when you shech the chicken and you find the chicken inside of the mother, ultimately, again, it's also going to be Asr. And the only reason why the Mishnah frames the case as a machlokis where the chicken laid the egg, is just to illustrate this permissiveness of Beishamai Shita, that not only do they allow you to eat the chicken, or excuse me, an egg that you find inside the chicken, but they even allow you to eat what? The egg that the chicken lays. But Beis Hillel himself would actually hold that at Lacha you can't even eat the egg that's found inside of a chicken. And the Hod design, that which we learn, But yet when we learned before, bless you, that when a person goes in and shechs the chicken and you find inside of it fully formed eggs, you're allowed to eat it on Yantiv. So his opinion is that. Money. Both say it certainly won't be Beisilal. And even according to Beishamai, it's obvious because if you could eat the egg that the chicken lays, you certainly could eat what? The egg that you find inside of the chicken. So both say, so remember, we're just trying to figure out one simple thing over here. Rav Huna made a statement in the name of Rav, which was what? Beitza imyitzi'asa nigmara, which is what? That an egg, when it comes out, it is complete. We don't understand what that statement means. So we assumed up until this point that that statement must somehow be related to our sugya of Beitza Shenov the Biyamtiv, or you're shechting a chicken and you find the eggs inside of the chicken. Radhi Gemara says, no. Ella im yitzi'asa nigmara umigadeles efrochim. Rather says the Gemara, the impact of Rav Huna's statement is that it is only a chicken when it lays an egg. It is only a, I don't know, what is, what is the laid egg? Is that the right English? Right? Only a, a birthed egg, right? Only a birthed egg has the ability to go ahead and become fertilized and have chicks. However, but when the egg is inside of the mother, it does not become, right? It is not capable ultimately again of having chicks. So again, we'll define this in just a moment. But the idea over here, what does this matter about? So therefore, again, it turns out, it turns out something amazing, that Rav Huna, when he says in the name of Rav, that Beitza and Yitzi Asa Nigmara is actually not a Hilchos Yamtiv statement. It's not a Hilchos Yamtiv statement. What is it? It's a Choshen Mishpat statement. It's telling you that Allah if somebody says that tells you that they want to buy eggs with the intention of having chicks, Right? They want chicks. Really, the ideal is you're, they're buying eggs that were already birthed, not eggs that came from inside of the chicken. What's the nafkumina? The nafkumina ultimately, again, will be for a case of mekachumemka, for a case of a sabosai. We'll pick up with this case tomorrow. I just want to end off. With, with, one, with one last piece. So again, th- therefore it turns out that Rav Huna in the name of Rav, his statement did not have a yumptive impact. It might do with Machol Gutesheim Beisilo. Nothing to do with Shechting Chegiz, Ashechting Chegins. It's a Mecha Chumemkar. It's a commercial statement. And it has to do again, when somebody wants to buy chick eggs that are capable of hatching chicks, what they're looking to really buy is what? Eggs that were laid. Eggs that, right? Eggs that are in the nest, not eggs that are inside the mother. So I'll just tell you, it's incredible that we're doing this daf, Emirat Hashem, on the, on the moments before Rosh Hashanah. 
because there's an incredible Musa Haskil in this, in this Gemara as well. You know, we spoke about the case, we spoke about the case of the chick that's born on Yamtiv. Right, we saw there was a Machlokis Rav and Shmuel. Efroach Shenola B'yamtiv. So Rav says, Mutter, right, Rav says, Asr Shmuel says, Mutter, leaving aside the halacha. But also, there's an incredible hashkaf on this as well. You know, Rav Kook, Rav Avram Yitzchak Cohen Kook says, if you think about this in just a moment, why does a chick peck its way out of the egg? Right, think about this. I would assume life is good in the egg. Right, life is good. I've never been there, but I'd have to imagine that, that life inside the egg Right? No one's bothering you. No one's cheppering you. Right? Whatever you need to be able to sustain, you have inside the egg. You have protection. Your mother's sitting right on top of you. Right? And, and, and pretty much life is fine as it is. What propels the chick to peck at the shell? And says Rav Kulk, because the chick knows that as great as the egg is, there's something even greater waiting for it on the other side of the shell. There's something even greater waiting for it in the world. The egg is great. The egg is great. But there's something even more. They'll say, what's our avodah on Rosh Hashanah? What's our avodah? There are so many things that we have to do. But the most important avodah is to begin to chip away at the shell. Because most of us live in a shell. We live in a casing of mediocrity. We live in a casing in a shell of complacency. We kind of get into a rhythm. We get into a rhythm. We get into a way we live, right? I do this, I do that. And we coast. And the truth is, we create a shell around ourselves. And the shell is very comfortable. And the shell is very nourishing. And the shell is very protective. And the shell is very nice. But what we forget is often what's on the other side of that shell could be so much greater. What's on the other side of that shell could be so much more rewarding. What's on the other side of that shell could have so much more kiddushin, so much more spiritual nourishment. And Rosh Hashanah is the day when we find the courage to begin to peck away at the shell. I don't want to live my life in the egg. I don't want to live my life in the shell. I don't want to live my life in this casing. I want to do more. I want to be more. I want to grow more. You know what Rosh Hashanah is? Rosh Hashanah is mamish contained in Beitzah, Dav, Vav, and Aleph. Rosh Hashanah is Efroach, Shenolad biyantif. Hayom haras. I will say, you know, in Rosh Hashanah, you have to make you have to make a choice. Do you want to be the chick that is born? Do you want to be the chick that pecks through its egg, or do you just want to stay in the egg, the olam vod? Because there are people who stay in the egg until 120, and the egg is nice, and the egg is not a bad existence. To be clear, the egg is not a virus. It's nothing. It's just an egg. And you ever see a chick in an egg? I haven't, but I would imagine. I would imagine that it's all huddled up and there's not a lot of free space in the egg. It's not like, oh yeah, I got myself a three-bedroom egg. You know, it's confining. It's confining, right? The chick can't stretch out. The chick can't stand up straight, but it's comfortable because it's nice to be like huddled up, right? No one bothers you. No one pushes you. No one really expects anything of an egg, right? You never get muster when you're in an egg. Why aren't you doing more? Why aren't you being better? What do you want from him? In an egg, right? No one expects an egg to be anything more than an egg. It's a very comfortable space to live in in life. But we totally undersell our potential. And we totally miss out on the beautiful opportunities of growth in life if we don't find the courage to peck our way through. Says Rav Kook, Kaddish Baruch programmed it in nature that the chick pecks through the egg because the chick knows that as great as the egg is, there's something even greater on the other side. On this Yom Adin, on this day in which we are Mamlech HaKadosh Baruch this day in which we coronate the Rebbeinu Shalom as our God, to find the courage to be an Efroach Shenolad B'yamtiv. And this Yamtiv, when we celebrate the birth of the world, may we be Zochemir Hashem to celebrate our rebirth, our coming out of the egg, our chipping away and pecking away at the things that confine us, and to pave a year of incredible growth, incredible Hatzlacha, and incredible self-actualization. A good convention was a beautiful year of learning together. Maybe Zochem who should inscribe us all together with our families in the Sefer Achayim for another year and many years of learning together. But Halavai, not in Baltimore. And Yerat Hashem and rebuilt Yerushalayim with our base Hamikdash and Hira Amen.